As 2020 nears its conclusion, the race for London is heating up. Whilst on the WTA side of things, there's only one tournament left in this weird, weird season. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo. We do have, it's a bit of a lull in the tennis season this week. There's been a little bit that's been happening, a couple of tournaments going on. The indoor season in Europe has well and truly kicked off, but there's still a little, a few nuggets that we do have to get through. Brett Phillips is going to join us on the show today as our special guest, but we can't do the show without this man. And well, his name is the one and only Joel Stone Cold Frucci. Joel, how are you? Yeah, going all right, Val. Um, tell you what, just just so the listeners are aware, we, we filmed an, an entire blooper reel before we started the show today. But we, uh, yeah, we got here eventually. How are you, how are you feeling, mate? Yeah, thanks for letting everybody know that. Um, it took me about five <laughs> goes, and it probably. Um, copious amounts of curse words that came out of my mouth um, trying to get that trying to get the intro done but um, yeah tell us quickly that that intro I gave you stone cold tell us where that came from oh yeah so uh, I, I think that was uh, the work of uh, mr. Nick kissing at the tennis men who uh, who came up with that um, yeah uh, it's it's interesting I don't even watch uh, well, yeah he's, he's a wrestling guy isn't he I don't know. Well, Mark, I think Mark Savulis is, but I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll go with it because um, I don't know. Just <laughs> I, I just like the name. But yeah, um, no, that works out very well. But no, it, it has been. This is a bit of a lull in in tennis at the moment, and it feels weird saying that considering that we had six months off. But it just feels it feels strange that this tournament's still going in Europe when. There are so many cases of COVID nineteen, but it's also good to have it on at the same time. But I don't know; there just haven't hasn't been as much coverage of it here in Australia as we have seen. And it's weird because Alex Demonor did make a final in uh, it, uh, where was it last week? It was in oh my Antwerp. god, where was it in Antwerp? That's it. Oh my god! Um, see, even even I'm experiencing the lull here. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he lost to Ugo Umber six one. 7-6, and um, it was good to see him back in a final, um, especially after he said that he um, he sort of felt kind of demoralised after the French Open and after Rome, and, and just such a, a mentally and physically taxing period in which he did make the US Open quarterfinals. But I think it's a bit, it's been, for the Australians, I think they're, they're the ones that probably would have struggled most this year because they're the ones that have had to really travel the furthest out of anybody um, to actually make their season tick along. And... I think we really need to look at what they've done this year and just say, look, you know, this is probably one of the hardest years you're ever going to experience. If you're an American, you they had about a whole month where the whole tennis circus was in their country. And then you've also got Europe where doesn't it's not far to travel from place to place. So they're kind of getting it off, getting off a little bit easier. The Australians haven't had a tournament on home soil since January. And travelling around... Amidst this virus is not easy. Yeah, well, I'm sure they're used to the travel factor um, in, in normal times, anyway, Val. But yeah, you're right. I mean, with COVID nineteen going around, I, I can't imagine how how tough it would be. Uh, just sort of knowing that there's that uncertainty going from uh, from from place to place, and, and also with the added logistical hurdles of, of minimised flights and the ones that are available. Uh, you know, more expensive than, than they would be because because they're so scarce uh, at, at the moment. And yeah, look, I mean, unfortunately, the results have been a little bit disappointing. Obviously, we saw, you know, Mark Holman's reach the, the second round of, of the French Open. But that aside, it was a pretty average clay court season for both the men and the women, um, Australian men and, and women. 
Uh, good to see Alex Diminor make the final in Antwerp, as you said. Obviously, yeah. went down to Hugo and Berg, who's got himself a new career high ranking of 32 and won, won himself a second title this year to go uh, alongside Auckland way back in uh, January, mm. which feels like an absolute lifetime ago now. Um, but yeah, I think as well, he probably vindicated his decision to hang around uh, in Belgium and play another UTS event. Uh, yeah. Rather than um, go off to a 500 or or a 250 or, or wherever else, um, that probably uh, pitted him nicely there. Of course, beat Grigor Dimitrov uh, along the way. So, yeah, um, look, look, a great win for a great win for for Alex and uh, in uh, Nur Sultan as well. At the moment, there's a few Aussies in that draw. Jordan Thompson won his first match against Cam Norrie. John Millman had a bye, um, but unfortunately, I think it was James Duckworth uh, went down against. Uh, Fernando Verdasco. Oh, um, boy, that was beautiful, Joel. Oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I really put the emphasis uh, on, on the, the list. Uh, on the TH. On the list. Um, but yeah, no, look, it's, you know, it's it's going to be interesting that tournament because we obviously do have the Aussie men there. Yeah, well, I think so. And and this is a this is a tournament that I genuinely think Melman can win. Um, uh, uh, he beat Verdasco last week, uh, if memory serves me correctly, in Cologne. Um, and if we get the draw up, I'm pretty sure that will prove me Prove me correct, I hope. Um, and yeah, he did. So he beat him 6-4, before going down to Alexander Zverev, who went on to win the back-to-back Cologne titles. So he's had a really good finish to this season. But looking at this mm. draw, Benoit Paire, our favourite, is the top seed, which is just... How absolute... is he still going after all that he's been through? He's still playing. Hell. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really don't. Because he's been saying the whole time that he just wants the year to finish and that he I'm can't wait for 2021. Maybe he should get our Benoit of the week, and we need to change it. But um, look, speaking uh, like speaking of Milman, he'll have Vadasco, then Tommy Paul in the quarterfinals. That that won't be an easy one. But I think if Milman is ever going to get that first career title, I think it could be here. Kazakhstan could hold hold a special place in John Milman's heart, and um, and it holds a special place in my heart after the Borat uh, subsequent movie film yeah. release last week, which is absolutely fantastic, but uh, we will get to more of that later, I'm sure, because I will probably resort to making Borat quotes. But, um, yeah, I think, um, that, I don't know, I, I hope Milman can get his first title, because if there's anybody that does deserve a title that hasn't won one, it's John Milman. Yeah, definitely. We know that he's, he's done it hard as well during his career. It really took him a lot to, to battle through the injuries that he had, and, and he really bloomed late. And he's had himself a couple of great wins. Of course, the one against Roger Federer at the US Open really stands out. I remember watching that live and was absolutely delighted. And uh, then, of course, um, he almost, he almost uh, blinding almost struck twice mm. at the Australian Open this year, but he just couldn't quite close it out. But yeah, I mean, you're right. There's really not much more to say about, about Johnny. We love him and um, he probably deserves a title. And I think uh, his standing as a human being, um, and we spoke a bit about it last week, has really been recognised by his peers because he's, he's been elected to the uh, to yep. the player council. Yeah, fingers fingers crossed. I think the buy in the first round will certainly help him. Yep, I think so. And, uh, and look, I reckon, honestly, a Grand Slam semi-final went begging for John Millman this year at the Australian Open. And I think if you look back on it, he... He had that match on his racket against Roger Federer. He was up 8-4 yeah. in that final set tiebreak. And I think the way he was playing, he would have knocked off Martin Fushevich. And the tennis Sandrin match, I'm not sure. But could have very easily been John Millman against Novak Djokovic in that semi-final at the Oz Open this year. I'm glad it wasn't because I love Roger Federer that much that it trumps my love for the people of my home country. 
but um, which which is a little sad. But um, I don't know what the, sometimes the heart wants what the heart wants. But um, yeah, it's um, yeah. I don't know. I think John Millman had had has had a, a pretty fair. He's had an okay year um, in the tournaments that he's played. It was a semi final in Auckland, lost to Ugo Umber. Um, you know, U.S. Open. Just uh, what, oh, I can't remember what his result was. I think he got through to. I think he got through to the second round, didn't he? I think. Yeah, he lost against Francis Diaffa. That's right. Yeah, in five sets. Um, God, I'm having a shocking morning just forgetting absolutely everything that's happened this year. But, um, <laughs> no, yeah, and that Diaffa match, he was up two sets to one as well. And um, looking looking at that result, it's probably one that another one that went begging because Tiafo also went through to the fourth round of the tournament there. So yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I think hopefully Milman can get that elusive title. Um, at one point in his career before he does hang up the racket because there is nobody more deserving uh, in that top 100 right now than John Millman getting a title for his for his maiden um, ATP title. But also in um, in Ostrava last week, it was um, Arena Sabalenka avenging her loss to, um, to Victoria Azarenka at the US Open this year in second round. It was a very, um, it was a very loud affair. We do know that because they both grunt very, 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 very loudly. Um, but uh, Sabalenka completed um, her double. She won with double. She won in the doubles as well um, with Elise Mertens, six one six three over Gabby Dubrovsky and Luisa Stefani, and beats uh, Victoria Azarenka six two six two in an amazing, amazing win. And um, yeah, I, I think she's finishing the year really well. I think it was pretty. It would have been tough for her to get smashed by Azarenka at the U.S. Open, but to come back from that and do so well, and 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 I think rectify the result, I think is really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for her, certainly, it's probably a shame that there's not more tournaments to come for the WTA. We obviously still have uh, Lintz in a few weeks or a couple of weeks, but of course, the, the year-end finals are, are cancelled for the WTA. That's not to say that she actually would have played in those. She probably wouldn't have. I think she's a bit too far back. But um, just the fact that she's building a little bit of momentum, and we know that with Arena Sabalenka, she's one of those players that when she really gets going, she's pretty hard to stop because she does have so much power in her game. So the fact that she's been able to, you know, get a really solid win over, over Vico and then um, get a, a good win in the doubles with, uh, with Elise Mertens, who obviously we know is a, a fantastic player and, and, and plays a little bit differently is, is really good for her. So yeah, look, I think she's certainly one that um, as things stand, probably 2020 hasn't really worked in favor of her because she's really got some momentum that, uh, that she can build on. Yeah. And she does. And look, when we get to next year, I think Brisbane is probably going to be the first tournament should things stay the way that they are. And I hope that they do because zero cases in Melbourne yesterday was was a really, really big milestone for us here. And then hopefully that can result in more tennis being played and more crowds possibly coming in um, for the January tournaments, wherever they may be. If Brisbane does go ahead, if the ATT, if the ATP Cup goes ahead but um today there has been also zero cases as well so that's zero two days in a row um no lives lost here in melbourne so after our chat with martin pakula last week things have slowly started to get better and restrictions easing here so fingers crossed that we can get the tennis coming but before that joel the race to london the atp finals is well there's two spots left seventh and eighth roger federer would have qualified but he's not going um due to his injury the standing sit at Djokovic 1, Nadal 2, Team 3, Stefano Tsitsipas in 4th, Medvedev 5th, uh, Zverev 6th, Rublev is in 7th on 3,429 points. So Zverev has qualified. The top 6 are all there. 
and Diego Schwartzman on 3,285 points. 10th is Matteo oh sorry, 9th because Federer is not there, at 3,075. Gal Monfi, 2,860. And Denis Shapovalov at 2,830. Bautista Agu can get through, and, and so can Davi Goffan, but... I think it's probably out of those top 12 that can get there. And Denis Shapovalov losing in uh, Vienna last night does not help. Yeah. So it, it really doesn't help. Yuri Rodionov knocking him off 6-4-7-5. But I think it's really good for Andre Rublev that he managed to get through. Um, should he win the title, I think that would almost book his spot into um, into the uh, into the year-end finals with the year that he's had. That'd be a fifth title for him. Um, so who knows what we're going to see. But... Yeah, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on who you think will qualify? Well, I think given just given the amount of tennis that he has played and that he is playing, Val, and and I think, well, certainly there's going to be more to come. Uh, Andre Rublev, I think, is is almost a lock. Um, personally, I think we can we can almost put that one or take that one to to the bank. He's looking really good. Had a really good win um, against I think it was uh, against our boy Norbert uh, Gombos <laughs> in the first round. Yeah, um, in Vienna, played a, a really really clean match. He's looking really good. Um, then you, you sort of look down um, at the sort of high teens um, with with the men. Um, uh, Gael Monfey, I can't really see him um, doing any damage. Uh, he's just hasn't got going at all um, since tennis restarted. He yeah. hasn't made it past the second round and uh, at any tournament that he's played so far. And, and and the one that he did, he had a buy in the first round. Uh, so unfortunately, just just Gale has just not been able to rediscover his best, um, especially after winning in Rotterdam and also yeah. um, and Marseille earlier on in the year. Went back to back, and then yeah. was the was the one that should have beaten Novak Djokovic and ended that winning streak. Yeah, well, before before the stoppage, he was he was looking really really good. Uh, probably RBA and Goffin, I think, are probably a bit too far behind, um, and I just don't think they've got it in them to. Make up the grounds. Uh, Denis Shapovalov really disappointing that he lost to Yuri Rodinov this morning. He was looking absolutely amazing at the U.S. Open, and just since then he's kind of just just teetered off a little bit. Um, and yeah, I, I still think the problem with him is probably just he needs to just kind of keep it together mentally a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when things start to turn against him, um, so really I think the the only thing that's a bit in doubt for me, Val, I think is the last uh, spot that number nine spot. Um, but, and that's probably going to come down to Schwartzman and, and, and Berrettini. Interestingly, neither are playing in Vienna, but you'd have to expect that both will play uh, mm. in Paris. So, yeah, look, I think at the moment you probably have to back in Diego Schwartzman. He's he's playing by far and away the better tennis, even though at least early in the French Open, Matteo Berrettini was looking really, really good. But, of course, different surface. And then he uh, lost against Daniel Altmaier, which was really, really surprising, but I think it'd be almost disrespectful to Diego to sort of go against him because, um, yeah, he's obviously played a lot of tennis and he's playing some really good tennis at that. So I think it's got to be him and Andre. Yep, I agree. Um, and, and I think it, it is a bit disappointing not to see Matteo Berrettini playing in uh, in, Par- in uh, Vienna this week. Um, Schwartzman was going to play, but um, after a final in Cologne last week, losing to Alexander Zverev, I think fatigue has probably caught the better of him. He's had a really busy few months, um, especially... Final in Rome, yeah. semi-final at the French Open, and he played a lot of tennis at the French Open, a lot of tennis. So I think things would start to be um, starting to be ca- or to catch up with him at the moment. But yeah, I, I think I've got a feeling Berrettini might get in. Um, I don't know. He managed to squeeze his way in there last year, and I just think the way that he's playing, I reckon he might be able to do it again. And Paris is a tournament where 
we have seen some really remarkable results. If you go back and look at the actual the honor roll at um at the Paris Masters, which I'll, I'll do for for the listeners now. Um, and there's also Sofia coming up in the same week as Paris as well, so we can't forget that there might be players that will go there yeah. um, and play as well. So that, that's a tournament that a lot of people forgot. But if you look at the people that have actually won this tournament um, over the past 15 years, Thomas Burdich, um, Nikolai Davidenko, David Nalbandian, Joe Wilfred-Songer, uh, Djokovic has won it. Nadal has never won this tournament. Andy Murray won it in 2016. But in 2017, it was Jack Sock that got himself into the Nito ATP finals because of this win. I still don't know how he did it. Um, Philip Kranjevic played him in that final. And then Karen Kashinov in 2018. So there's been some obscure winners. And this is still, and the Paris Masters remains to this day, the only Masters that David Ferrer won. So that was back in 2012 when Jerzy Janovic somehow made the final as well. So... um, so there's been there's been some remarkable results at this tournament in the past, and I, I think it's really exciting to see uh, to, to think about what we're going to get here. And um, this is generally a tournament that Rafa does pull out of when he gets to it. Um, it's generally you know how Rafa gets to the end of the year and he starts to really struggle on those hard courts. Um, I'm yeah. not sure. I'm pretty sure he is. Um, he's intending to play. Djokovic isn't. So Nadal um, will be the top seed. Team second. Medvedev third. And City pass fourth. So this, I, th- I think the the men's race for London and who is going to win London, I think is the really exciting prospect. And, and that's something I'm really keen to see. But Joel, should we get to our special guest in Brett Phillips? Uh, yeah, just before we do though, Val, we should probably uh, give a quick shout to uh, Julia Gorges, who retired we during the week, aged 31. And probably a bit of an underrated career. She did win uh, seven singles titles, five doubles titles, reached a Wimbledon semi-final in 2018 and hit world number nine um, and of course play doubles with Ash Barty as well so uh, yep. congratulations on a wonderful career Julia. and what what I do like Joel is that we in the women's game you can see a lot of backstabbing you can see a lot of sort of uh, animosity towards each other there was not one player that I didn't see that commented on Julia George's Instagram post and wish her all the best it was it was really refreshing to see wasn't it yeah, I guess from the outside looking in, she does seem like a really likable character and certainly that was reflected when when she hung up the racket and, um, yeah, as we say, I think she can she can step away from the sport being uh, really pleased by what she managed to achieve in her career. Yep, uh, 100% agree and um, a very, very, very high-quality career in that. But now, let's get to Brett Phillips. And we've got him on the line. His name, well, he's very famous on this show, Brett Phillips. He was, as I said, our very first guest on this show. And um, Brett, thank you very much for joining us today. The host of the First Serve and Tennis Extraordinaire. He pretty much runs this sport in this country. And um, it is great to have him on the show again. BP, how are you? It's great to join your show. It's going gangbusters, uh, Breakpoint. You're making news uh, left, right and centre. So uh, well done, guys. Um, uh, You're doing a mighty job. Nah, thank you very much. Thank you. How's um how's everything been going with the first serve? It wouldn't be easy broadcasting from your home every week. You and Sam Groff, um, doing things sort of a bit incognito. Yeah, it has been. I'll, I'll jump back in the studio the last two weeks, which has been nice actually. Um, yes, you know, the, the challenges of uh, broadcasting from home and uh, trying to operate a, a radio studio at home. Uh, hey, look, for the majority, it's been okay. And I think we're all going to get used to whatever industry we're in, sort of doing some component of work from home. But 
Yeah, I have missed being on the road, Val. I mean, I was supposed to be away for 20 weeks and it's allowed me to get plenty of other stuff done. And I suppose the back end of work on a lot of things to do with the first serve, you mightn't have had that time during the year, but gee, as soon as you can get me on a plane somewhere, I'll, uh, I'll take that any day. Yeah, well, it would have been me for Brisbane over the weekend with the AFL Grand Final on. But um, talking about uh, talking about not actually being at tennis, and you said you had twenty weeks to or schedule or scheduled to travel this year. Looking at looking at that, how difficult has it been after being so used to travelling over the last couple of years, and now all of a sudden you you're stuck at home watching from afar, and with the, with the difficult time differences as well. How's that been for you? And I, I know you've had a lot of time to do some back-end stuff but in terms of watching tennis it's it's not easy from our side of the world is it no the u.s open a bit more friendly but the french i've got to say as i get older i get up earlier i probably sleep less but gee i flake uh i flake at <laughs> night so i'm not maybe the night owl that i used to be and you try to take in as much of the french as possible but you know, it's a combination of watching live, watching back replays. Um, yeah, much easier, certainly in person. I appreciate that. Although the US here is, is is fairly friendly. You can watch a fair chunk of the day session and obviously the night just goes well into the night in New York and goes on and on and on. So uh, that, that was okay. But yeah, there's nothing like actually being at these events uh, live just to get the full appreciation of how, how big the slams are and, and the points of difference with all the slams. Yeah, that makes two probably uh, three of us BP in terms of uh, flaking out uh, over overnight and uh, just before I uh, we, we do crack on with the chat, of course, thefirstserve.com.au, all in one word and at thefirstserveau on Twitter for anyone that wants to check out the content there. In terms of what's actually happened since uh, the pause ended and, and tennis resumed, it's I guess we've been pretty lucky in the sense that most of what's been planned has gone ahead. Um, so have you been pleasantly surprised by, I suppose, the lack of COVID positives and the fact that tennis has been able to progress relatively uninterrupted? Yeah, it's been fascinating to observe, hasn't it, Joel? Uh, you know, we had Peter Johnston on the show last week, you know, tournament director of St. Petersburg, the whole Sam Query uh, yeah. incident that unfolded there. But, yeah, by largely, it's, it's sort of gone pretty well. I mean, the New York bubble was so tight. Yes, the French. I know you've had a, a um, you know, guess on talking about that. The French, which probably typically sums up the French in Paris. Uh, for anyone that's been there, it's just looser. The Europeans are a little bit more maybe blasé. Maybe that's yep. why they're having another big uh, wave across all the countries in uh, Europe. Um, gee, wouldn't like to be there right now. But I think on the whole, you know, tennis had to come back. It, it had to... Uh, somehow get back. There was going to be the inconvenience for the players and the entourages and and the. I uh, heard Djokovic, uh, Vel, uh, your um, your number one man, uh, talk about <laughs> it uh, at the weekend. Uh, how how different it's you know been and nothing straightforward and all the testing and all the COVID rules. But that's going to be the norm for a little while and at least the players are able to get back and compete and actually put some dollars uh, back in their pocket. I mean, you talk about. I talk about myself not being able to travel. I mean, these guys uh, travel triple what I do and basically live out of a suitcase as long as your career lasts. Uh, they would have done their head in, been in the same spot. Uh, you know, obviously, Demonor was well documented during the year, uh, was going insane in his little apartment in Alicante. So, yeah, I think it's um, it's been good. And the Australian Open, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's a bit of a watch this space over the next seven to ten days. I know there's a lot going on behind the scenes 
to try and marry everything up, to get all the players, first of all, here. They know they have to quarantine for two weeks. That is uh, the absolute rules of coming to Australia. They won't, though, just sit in a hotel. So that's the, from what I understand, that's the sticking point. Are the players going to be able to have this bubble where they can be at this uh, biosecurity hotel, uh, allowed to go to some courts and practice, go to some gyms, do some fitness, so they can hit the ground running for the ATP, ATP Cup or the other lead-ups. If they can't, players won't be coming. So they need to tick that box off. Then they need to tick off, or can the players actually move uh, states? So where does that leave the ATP Cup and all the lead-ups? And it, you know, it's certainly been floated that if all the borders are not going to open sufficiently, and I think probably it's going to work out, uh, that all the, the basically summer of tennis will all be here in Melbourne. And we've seen it with Cincinnati and New York being at the one venue. The French was more straightforward. So there's a, there's a, a bit to play at. I, I do feel for the administrators who um, are probably like the politicians in a sense, doing all this on the fly, learning and, and making a few mistakes. But that's going to become the norm now for at least the next 12 months, at least. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the uh, the ATP Cup certainly is, is going to work if indeed it is all centralised in Melbourne, but I suppose Melbourne Park probably could, at least in terms of facilities, probably could handle, I think, the uh, the, the load of players and the load of matches that are going to be uh, required. But, of course, yourself as well, BP. I mean, you've got a, a fairly central role in, uh, I guess, the way that the event is run in, in court announcing on, on RLA. And obviously, as we even said with Martin Cooler last week, Victorian um, Minister for Sport and Major Events, no one's got that crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen sort of next week or in a fortnight, let alone what's going to happen in January. But we certainly hope the event obviously will go ahead with some fans there. But like, have you received any sort of correspondence from TA in terms of like what your role will be? I've been told that we'll be in touch. <laughs> so I think they're trying to, they're trying to sort it all out, but it's, it's going to be different. Yeah, Cause I did the ATP cup last year and then, Kuyong, uh, which is not going to happen, uh, we know that, and then into the Australian Open. So, yeah, I'm just being told to wait. I mean, obviously the Nuka Medal, we were supposed to do that. That has been cancelled. Uh, I think they're going to honour um, more of the community sort of recipient awards at the Australian Open. Obviously, it's been a toughie to try and judge a, a Nuka medalist for such uh, little tennis. Uh, but, yeah, I'm just waiting to see, uh, Joel, at the moment. So I think probably in the next... Uh, three to four weeks, we'll certainly know. Look, absolute confidence the Australian Open will proceed, but what the two weeks leading into the Aussie Open, I think that's the bit that still needs to be ironed out and there's a bit of doubt as to whether it'll just look the same. Yeah, and look, and when you foster in, yes, the ATP Cup is, like, if they can do that in Melbourne, that's great, but then you've got to fa- factor in all the women's tournaments in Hobart, Adelaide, uh, Brisbane, so you, you just don't know. Um, and I think with the sheer amount of matches, like, yes, Melbourne Park can do it, but, um, you know, they're not going to be playing on very fancy courts in, in uh, for a lot of those matches, and it, it might deter crowds from coming. Oh, who knows what crowds will look like? I'm not sure, but um, uh, what, what are you hoping to see, at least, with crowds? Do you think this 25 to 50% uh, crowd capacity will, will go ahead, or do you think it'll be even, uh, even less than that? I reckon the, the size of Melbourne Park you know, stretching, if they're going to use the whole precinct, stretching from Fed Square all the way through to Richmond Station, that does allow you to move and spread out, unlike the other Grand Slam sites, which are much tighter. You know, Roland Garros being the smallest, you know, Wimbledon's fairly compact, the US Open's uh, got a little bit more space, but it doesn't have that excess space no. 
uh, outside of the actual tennis grounds that uh, that Melbourne Park has. So if you know they're able to set up all their live sites and all the other things that go on bar the tennis, because we know the Australian Open more than the other slams has become this huge event where people can either go there to watch the tennis or you just go there to not even see a ball hit and yeah. catch up with mates and watch a bit of live music and enjoy the day and the big screens in the background. So that, I think, can allow some pretty decent traffic numbers to to get through. And, I mean, look, you know, I, I, we're, we're sitting here in October. Melbourne's in a far better situation. Fingers crossed uh, that we're now out of this or uh, certainly a long way from you know having to go back to any sort of lockdown. And, and Australia's responding pretty well. So I, I get a feeling that, there'll be a decent crowd number to at least provide a really good atmosphere at the Australian Open. Um, what that looks like, with, yeah, you know, I'm just sort of probably guessing at the moment, but I think you know, that 25 to 50 seems about the mark. Yep, let's hope so. And looking at what happened at the US and the French, there was a severe lack of atmosphere at, at, at both Grand Slams. Even the French had a 1,000 people in each day. Just They were all dividing themselves between different courts, so definitely lacked a little bit there. But fingers crossed we can see that at the Oz Open next year. But BP, looking at uh, the recent results uh, on the ATP at the moment, it's Joel and I were talking off air before and saying it's kind of easy to forget that there's actually still tennis going on at the moment. But um, Alex Dimonor, final in Antwerp, uh, losing to Hugo Umber. What did you make of his week? And considering you said he was so demoralised after the French Open, he won the UTS at the Moritoglu Academy, and now he's come on, uh, come in and made the final in Belgium. Seems like he's had like a kind of a little bit of a new lease on on life at the over the last few weeks at least. Yeah, yeah, it's good work. Um... Plays well indoors. I mean, uh, you know, he, he can rip the ball through the course. A good match against him, mm. who's obviously emerging as the top-ranked young Frenchman at the moment, uh, closing in on that uh, top thirty. Look, it's interesting for the demon. I mean, if you look at the last two years, so he, you know, he goes from what two hundred odd to thirty. Had that real breakout year. Alex Demon has arrived. Since then, it's okay. Can he at least maintain his spot inside that top thirty and not just be a flash in the pan? We all probably thought that he would do that because he's made of the right stuff. He wasn't just going to be a flash in the pan, disappear, too competitive, works hard, tough to beat. So I think I think he's done a great job to stay inside that top 30, what, peaking at 18 there at one stage. Then he's had some injuries to deal with. So he's learned a bit about his body, okay? I've got to get better at probably now that I'm a fully-fledged ATP player about managing schedule and my body, strengthening up, picking the right tournaments, and he hates losing. We love that about him. I mean, you know, most uh, most tennis players, and they play so much tennis that one loss is not the end of the world. Okay, well, didn't get it done. Move on to the next tournament because there's another opportunity in three days' time. Alex Demonor treats every loss like it's you know he's lost a family member, and you, you love that about him. I remember interviewing him at Indian Wells last year when he lost to Azir uh, on the Young American, and he he was devastated, and it was. Indian Wells. I mean, it's a good tournament, but it's not one of the Grand Slams. So good to see him back in some form. We're actually talking on the show this week about our Aussies. We've got five inside the top 100, three inside the top 50. And we're going back to, obviously, uh, the drought of Australian male winners at Grand Slam level. And we put on our socials. Yeah, who's, who's the one that can step up? Is there one? And he's the only name for me, because I put Kyrgios out of the conversation, the reason I do that is I have no idea what Nick Kyrgios is yeah. going to become. If he becomes the absolute best version of himself, 
yes, we can elevate him into the conversation, but I don't think we can yet because no. we haven't seen him play for such a long time. And if you're not fully committed to the sport, really committed to it, I don't think he can actually climb the mountain. So Demonor's the one. It's it's a huge stretch for him to win a Grand Slam. If he was to win a Grand Slam, it'd be a, a mighty effort. I say that because of the personnel and the era that he'll be in and just his capabilities versus his contemporaries' capabilities. Yep. When you look at Shapovalov and Tsitsipas and Rublev, all these guys around his age are a fraction older. But gee, he's going to give himself a chance, isn't he? Just be, by the nature of the way he plays. If he grows a bit more and and adds a bit more power, wins points a little easier, he could maybe really emerge. I think you, you can see top 10 there yep. at some point. It's a bit like Leighton Hewitt had his little window, didn't he? At the yep. back end of Sampras... Before Nadal and Djokovic, or sorry, Nadal and Federer, obviously, you know, dominated. So he's going to get a really little window, maybe. I don't know. He's the only guy I think we can maybe pin some hope from an Australian male point of view that could maybe emulate, what, Hewitt, 2002, Wimbledon, yeah. 2001, US Open, the last male to lift a trophy. Yeah, we do love the demon, and we do hope we can he can achieve something of that ilk. And speaking of the guys in that kind of age bracket, BP, of course, guys like Stefanos uh, Tsitsipas and, and even Denis Shapovalov uh, contending for uh, that that final, those final two places in London. Obviously, Stefanos, Stefanos has already qualified, but those last two spots currently occupied by Andre Rublev and Diego Schwartzman. Uh, I think Val and I were of the opinion that those two guys probably hang on to those last two spots with um, the competition there from uh, Berrettini and, and Monfi, RBA, and also David Goffin, if they can, can get there, which probably looks a little bit unlikely. But um, yeah, those last two spots, who, who, do you, uh, who are you expecting uh, to fill uh, those last two places uh, on the road to London? Well, I'd love to see Dennis, you know, you know, an unabashed Dennis fan. I'd love to see him get to London. Uh, I was listening to him speak in Vienna uh, yesterday, and I love his confidence, and I, 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 I just love his sort of charisma and his game, you know, obviously is just progressing really nicely. It's still a work in progress. He's still got a, a bit of work to do, but he brings so many great qualities and he wants to get to the big stage. Um, uh, and he talked about, you know, he's been to the O2 as a fan and he thought this is, it is, it is I've been to the ATP finals. I think the atmosphere there and the way they present that tournament uh, is better than some of the Grand Slams, just in terms of the whole atmosphere and everything around the actual tennis. And you've got the best in town, singles and uh, doubles. Uh, Rublev, I think, will hang on. I'm really impressed by Rublev. I, I think yeah. he's um, yeah. the man to watch at the moment. Obviously, equal with Djokovic, the most amount of titles this year. Yeah, the Russians are fascinating. I love them. They're they're um, they're they're out there. They're, they're, they're charismatic. Uh, they're a little bit nuts. They've got <laughs> yeah. a feel to them. They've got an edge to them. They just love. And you go, Gee, you know, I'd love love to go to the trenches with you. And um, he's uh, he's the one that I, I think can certainly uh, certainly hold on. Yeah, look, certainly. Yeah, Shapovalov. Um, you know, is having a, a great year, although. <laughs> Although he's been beaten in Vienna uh, overnight, so he hasn't done me any favours there. Uh, Dennis, he had a very winnable first-round match against Rodolf. So, um, anyway, that's the ups and downs of uh, tennis. But we've still got Paris to come uh, into the ATP finals. But that, yeah, makes it very tough for uh, Dennis to maybe uh, sneak in. Uh, I was hoping he would maybe be able to get to the O2. But, look, we're going to see the best of him in the future. If you look at... 
who can actually win a slam. I look at Dennis Shapovalov and I go, one day I think you can have your moment. He might only get one moment. I mean, mm. talk about the year of men's tennis, the big three. We're certainly, I think, going to get into a big, maybe 10. They're all about the same age coming through. And right now you go, there's not one that's absolutely jumping off the page. So he's going to be in the mix of uh, so many young guys who can, who are going to have a, maybe a little window, but never quite have uh, maybe the stats of uh, the big three this next year. Probably not. I don't think we're ever going to see anything like what we've seen with the big three ever again. And all three have done things that are just genuinely remarkable with the winning streaks Djokovic has had, um, the wins at Roland Garros that Nadal has had, and just what Federer has done overall with his 103 titles and um, and just his Wimbledon records. I think it's just sheerly... Surely remarkable. But um, with, with the women this year, BP, we haven't really asked uh, you much about them. Um, who impressed you the most on the women's side? We we saw Iga Swiatek win the French Open. We saw Osaka um, win her third major at the US Open. So since the comeback, who was the most impressive for you? Well, I love the way Naomi came back. Um, because when, after she you know jumped on to the stage and won those uh, couple of majors, I just felt she went through a period last year where she was easily beatable. You could expose her really easily. If you played it smart tactically at the other end of the court, and I didn't think there was sort of a plan B, there wasn't a lot of variance. So she's gone away. I noticed it in the first couple of rounds of the US Open. I thought, gee, you, you look you look fitter. You're, you're getting to that extra ball or two. So we, we know that she could attack and blow you off the court. But the thing we questioned about Osaka was her ability to defend and, and maybe dig in a little bit until she could pull the trigger and get things on her terms. So I, I like that component of her. And obviously, Wim Fassett, you know, working with her, uh, you know, he's worked with so many great players on the WTA Tour and he demands a fair bit and uh, expects you to, uh, to put in the work. And I think she did a big training block uh, moving over to Los Angeles. Uh, who's the boyfriend? What's he, the rapper? Oh, yeah. I don't know his name, but, yeah, he's um, he's a weird cat. <laughs> well, apparently they were in the you know, hills of uh, Los Angeles, up near the Hollywood sign there somewhere, I don't know, doing a, a fair bit of work. And uh, she looked like she'd done the work. And, I mean, we know the physical side of tennis. It's it's huge now on the men's and the women's side. You've got to... You've got to get that part right if you really want to excel. So Osaka, absolutely. But no, I love the Igor Svantec. It's a, it's a great story. Yeah. You know, when I was at the French last year, I saw her lose to Halep. But I was sitting next to my mate uh, Peter Dobrowski, the uh, Polish journalist who I befriended. And he kept telling me about Igor. He said, this girl will be an absolute superstar. He takes flowers into her uh, press conferences uh, we interviewed him on the first serve and he said, mark my words, this girl is coming and uh, she is going to uh, win a slam. And we probably didn't think it was going to be 12 months later, but I love the style of the, the modern player. I think women's tennis, we're seeing more variety. Um, you know, Shane Leonard, you, you know, both know well, doing some great work with On Jabir. You know, she just brings all this, you know, the, the, the slicing and uh, just taking pace off the ball and drop shots. And we've seen it with Fiontek. Uh, obviously a very own Ash Barty. So it's uh, it's a different style of women's tennis, I think, that's evolving now rather than just the, the bashes and the crashes from the back of the court. Yep, I think so. And um, look, I think next year is going to pose so many questions on the WTA with so many people that can win uh, Grand Slams and tournaments alike. And it's so exciting to see. We've got one 
uh, on the men's side that's not not very even, and we've got the other on the women's side that is extremely even, and I think that just makes it so exciting because when when someone does break through on the men's side, we are going to celebrate, but we're already celebrating that on the WTA. BP, thank you so much for joining us here on Breakpoint. It is a pleasure as always and as ever it has been to, to have you on, mate. It's um, We love having you on the show. And remember, you can follow The First Serve on Twitter at The First Serve AU on Instagram as well at The First Serve. Like them on Facebook and subscribe um, to all their shows and, and what BP does, uh, mate. As I said at the start, you are running tennis in this country. <laughs> You're, uh, come on. I'll tell you what, though. Hey, there's a bit bubbling around in Australian tennis. Watch this space, boys. Watch this space there certainly is and bp thank you very much we'll speak to you soon thank you guys pleasure doing a great job brett phillips there one of our great friends here on breakpoint podcast he is well he he's the first one that sort of gave us our our um our little push he was the first guest we ever had on the show back all the way back in 2015 it's been a very very Long time, but so great to have BP back on the show again. And uh, remember, you can follow the First Serve at the First Serve AU on Twitter and check out um, their pages on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, and I've, I'm not sure if they're on Google Podcasts, but check them out and subscribe because it is one of the best tennis shows in the world. And working hand in hand with them to provide Australians the best tennis coverage and the world the best tennis coverage that we possibly can is something that we really want to do. And BP does such an unbelievable job with the podcast series that they have there as well um, with Aussies Only, um, the Study and Play USA podcast, and also crunching the numbers with our great mates, Mark Sifoulis and Shane Leonage. But Joel, it is time for our favorite segment of the week, the Benoit of the weekend. Look, there, there are a few people that we could have given this to, and I wanted to give probably like a triple or quadruple Benoit this week because I'm still celebrating the Richmond Tigers premiership um, in the AFL, three in four years, for, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure um, if, if you do follow me on social media, um, you have seen my incessant tweeting or Facebooking or, or Instagramming about it because um, I'm a very happy man. Very happy man. But um, yeah, and Ash Barty also presenting the cup. So that's the tennis theme there. But look, I think the the Benoit of the week had to go to Borat Sagdiev for the subsequent movie film. I think it just had to. Sasha Baron Cohen. And I, I'm trying to think of excuses to try and get him on this show because I just any excuse to interview him and talk to him about the way that he made this movie and the way that he makes his movies and, and goes undercover and unmasks the real sort of the dark areas of the world. He is a genuine, a genuine marvel to this human race and what he managed to do to un, uh, uncover some really dark things about America. And especially that Rudy Giuliani scene, if you guys haven't seen it, then I highly urge that you do. Uh, it is so disturbing yet brilliant at the same time and, and, and hilarious as well. So Sasha Baron Cohen, very nice. I like, um, and, have you seen it, uh, it came out on Friday. So three <laughs> <laughs> and it's Tuesday. So there's been, there's been a five day period since it's come out and I've seen it three times. Um, watched it by myself, then showed uh, my partner rage and then showed, um, and then showed mum and dad as well. So, um, look, I'm not okay. complaining. I'm not, I've seen the first one probably 50 times and could probably recite you the entire movie if you wanted it. We could probably dedicate a whole podcast to that. But, um, Joel, if, uh, I know you haven't seen it yet, so I would uh, I would highly recommend that you uh, you go and do that. You can borrow my Prime Video account and uh, and go watch it. And we can, we can do a debrief next week. Oh, yeah. Thanks, mate. I think I might take you up on that because, uh, 
yeah, you pumped it up a bit. I, I probably should go check it out and see what all the all the buzz is about. Yep, and and it's not it's and a lot of people and look, we we both aren't the PC army goes goes very very far these days, and to see something and this is. This is a movie promoting political correctness in a politically incorrect way, and that's why it's so brilliant because it is genuinely hilarious, and it, it really uncovers a lot of issues. and It's such a such a smart film, and I think Sasha Baron Cohen. If and if Mia Bakalova, who plays his daughter in the movie, if she doesn't get an Oscar nomination, I will be very very upset. So yeah, it was um yeah brilliant movie. Go watch it. This has been Breakpoint Podcast. I'm going to stop waffling on about things that aren't tennis. Um, but Joel, thank you very much for your efforts in the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Yeah, as always, Val. I'll catch you next week. And I'm very proud of you that you finally got your hair cut. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, it feels bloody good, let me tell you. The the hair was slowly just going out and out and out every week that, that I saw him. I'm lucky because my dad's a hairdresser, so <laughs> never really had to worry about it. But um, poor Joel, on the, on the other hand, uh, he, he was struggling. But this has been Breakpoint Podcast. Val Ferbo and Joel Fritchie joining you every week. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Breakpoint Pod on Twitter, Breakpoint Podcast on Instagram, and at Breakpoint Pod 1 on Facebook. You can search the at or just search Breakpoint Podcast. We're there. And subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as Wushkan. Wherever you get your shows, we are there as well. So plenty more to get through before the year is out. We'll be reviewing uh, Vienna and Nur Sultan. Hopefully John Millman is an ATP Tour title winner. We'll catch you next week with hopefully some more news in the race to London.